this morning to hear from you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know that. Thanks for the worship, Vern. Are we working now? I got some. Nope. Pretty sure I'm on. Lights are on. Mute's off. How's it working now? No, go again. How? Working now? Maybe we need to upgrade our system here. Okay, okay, I'm talking, I'm talking. And then how about, I'm coming through now, right? Okay, I can hear. Okay, that's, that last song we sung, uh, years ago, Brian Dirksen, the author of that song, led worship at a conference I was at, and he shared what that song was born out of. He had put together some kind of um, big project where they're going to merge the music with um, some, some stage production, and so they had to get a bank loan. And the, the bank called the loan before the project was over, and it basically totally bankrupted Brian Dirksen. And so he lost everything. And, and so he wrote that song. I mean, think about the words. All through the storm, your love is the anchor. My, my hope is in you alone. So I think he lost his house and everything and went off to the UK and was a worship pastor for a while. And God did some great things in his life and has obviously used that song very powerfully. But um, God's been preaching to me all week. And I get to preach to you, and he's going to still be preaching to me as I preach. <laughs> but uh, I have some object lessons to start off the thing here. You guys know what these things are? Cadbury mini eggs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I know what you're thinking. I hope he opens the bag and passes them around. <laughs> well, I'm not going to do that for two reasons. You know, COVID reasons for one. But more importantly, in our house, these aren't known as mini eggs. They're known as adventure eggs. And so when, when, especially like Ann and I go for a big ski tour, the adventure eggs go in the back of the pack and they freeze down hard. They're kind of frozen. And you're out there for a couple hours and you're starting to, your glycogen is low. In athletic terms, we call it bonked, uh, bonking. So you pull out the adventure eggs and they, they crunch, that frozen crunch. Oh, it's so good. Um, uh, but you know what? I'm, as great as our, our Canadian Rockies adventures are, Winter or summer, there's a much greater adventure that awaits every one of us. You know, there was an old commercial years ago. I'm glad that this, this crowd will probably remember this one. The marketing t team did their job. Remember that commercial, How Do You Spell Relief? Maybe it's an American commercial. And they all spell, spell it Rolades, R-O-L-A-I-D-S. They'd ask like Major League Baseball relief pitchers, how do you spell relief? You know, well, I spell relief, P-R-A-Y-E-R. That's how I spell relief. And today, I'm going to talk about the great adventure of prayer. You know, um, we get to come into the very presence of God. Think about that. The very presence, we take it for granted, don't we? Coming into the very presence of God. Albert Einstein once said that the creator, the designer, see this, he probably knew more about the physical laws of the universe than probably most scientists. He said the creator, designer of the universe must be more powerful than the most powerful thing we observe in the universe by a factor of infinity. What's the most powerful thing we observe in the universe so far? It's a quasar. And a quasar, it's so far out there. In one second, 
it emits enough energy to, to supply all the Earth's electrical needs for a million years in one second. And so Einstein tells us that our creator is infinity times more powerful than that. And we can go right into his throne. Ephesians 3.12 says, In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Through Jesus, we have confident, bold access to God the Father. My PowerPoint's working good. I have another object lesson here. Ron Hallam and I, we have a mutual friend named Jim Hunter. And Jim was our first Canadian um, crazy Canuck, Alpine ski ace. And he's known as Jungle Jim Hunter, and affectionately known as Jungle. And so I was in Jungle's basement one day in Calgary, and he had about 100 of these things hanging up on the wall. They're accreditations. And you go to an Olympics or a World Cup um, or whatever, World Championship, they, they give you your accreditation. And you hang this thing around your neck, and especially in Olympics where security is super high, you can't go anywhere. And there's people checking, you know, show me your thing. And, and you look at the accreditation, it kind of tells you where you can go, whether it's to your venue or, most importantly, the dining hall. Because like in Olympics, it's 24 hours a day. They serve food. And most Olympics, it's pretty good food. And you can kind of size people up by looking at their past. What, what they, this one is from the uh, 2010 Olympics. All I have is village. I didn't have access to the dining room in that one. But this one I did. This is the... Um, uh, from Rio Olympics, the family and friends, where uh, my Olympian was Gabriel Ho Garcia. He was a field hockey player. And if you're a family or friends, you can go to Canada House. And in Canada House, you can watch, you can meet other family and big shots in the Canadian sports world, and, and they feed you. It's kind of nice. <laughs> All the beverages are free. The food is free. You know, at, at dinner time, everybody lines up. It's not as good as the Olympic food, but it's, it's pretty good. But you know what? Jesus is our all-access pass to the throne room of God. Think about that. If you were to wear a credential around your, your neck, Jesus would give you, give you that access. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. You know, my desire for us today as we exit the doors, wherever they are, I don't want to be like a flight attendant here, whatever, but when we exit... I want us to be just pumped, excited about going on this adventure of prayer. Because we get to, to have, through Jesus, access to the throne of God. So don't we take it for granted? Man, we take it so for granted. Romans 8.15, you're probably familiar with if you've been around Christian circles very long, where Paul says, we do not have a spirit of slavery, but one of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's an Aramaic term, as you probably know, for daddy. We get that kind of close, intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can call him Abba. You know, the quickest way to put any Christian under the pile, probably, is to ask him about their prayer life. How's your prayer life, bro? <laughs> oh, well, let me tell you. Um, my first assign ministry assignment was in Houghton, Michigan. And Houghton was a cool place. It's in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And there's this postcard that they used to pass around where it's kind of really foggy and hazy. And there's a road sign that said, Houghton, two miles, end of the earth, three miles. <laughs> and that's kind of what it was like. And, and I loved it. Tony Esposito, he led them to a national, if, you know, if you're a hockey guy, you know Tony Esposito. He led the, um, he played for the Blackhawks many years, and he led the Michigan Tech Huskies to a national championship back in 1974. Well, he hated the place. If you read his biography, he hated it there because they had so much, six months of snow, 
and cold, and I loved it for those reasons. But in my first ministry assignment, I read a book by a guy named E.M. Bounds. Ever heard of E.M. Bounds? He's an old-time Christian guy. He wrote 12 books. Nine of them were on prayer. And I, I printed out some quotes and put them in strategic places in my room. One of them was on my alarm clock. The first one said, A love for God that cannot break the bonds of sleep is weak and ineffective and will accomplish little for him the rest of the day. Talk about being convicted. <laughs> and then the second one was Satan laughs at our toils, mocks at our efforts, but trembles when the weakest of saints goes on their knees. Have you been feeling powerless and out of control lately with our world spiraling economically and politically and socially and health? Do you feel powerless? Don't, because Satan trembles in fear when the weakest of saints gets down on their knees. And then the third one, for me in bounds, I think Christians fail so often uh, to get answers to their prayers because they do not wait long enough on God. How many of us have given up praying for something? I, th I think in this room, everybody's been praying maybe for a long time, maybe, maybe months or years or decades, I bet, some of you, for salvation of a loved one or a health issue or, or a restored relationship or, or something. I mean, we, we pray and we pray and we pray and we wonder if it's doing anything. Well, it does. And so we're going to talk about persevering. Jesus had an awesome prayer life. And so much so that um, his disciples asked him, teach us how to pray. And the passage we're going to look at in Luke, it comes just after Jesus is spending some time in prayer. And the disciples came up to him, and, and they wanted to, like, Jesus, teach us about prayer. So he teaches about um, the Lord's Prayer. And then he, he elucidates more on the teaching of the Lord's Prayer with this passage in, in Luke 11, uh, 5 to 13. Let's read that. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And then he goes on to say, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, Will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is telling us what? To persevere, to don't stop. You know, one thing we need to, to understand about Jesus, I think he was entertaining. You know, he wasn't like some guru mystic, lotus position, you know, teaching and I think, you know, in, in the day that didn't have Netflix and Prime Video and TV and, and C CDs, and, and we're so, we're like bombarded with entertainment. They didn't have entertainment back then. So if a traveling speaker came to town, one that was rumored to have been performing miraculous signs, he was the phenom of the day. And I can only imagine what he was, what his teaching was like. Remember when he said, um, you must hate your fa father and mother um, to, be to be worthy of the kingdom? I mean, that goes against the Ten Commandments. But Jesus isn't telling us to take that literally. He's using a, a, a technique called exaggerated speech, saying that your love for me must be so great 
that exaggeratingly, and to catch your imagination, you must even hate your mother and father. But it's not that they'll say her mother and father. And let's say, like, um, when he talks about the impossibility of a rich person going into the kingdom of heaven, there's probably a camel standing, and he probably walked over the camel. Let's say it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven, like, like this camel. Does anybody have a needle? Oh, yeah, like for this camel to, to go through there. And, and so he's kind of like talking in an entertaining way. And so sometimes when you read these parables, we need to understand them that way. And that they're like, oh, he's using exaggerated speech again. But he's also, in this, in this situation, telling about something maybe you've experienced. I've experienced it once. Uh, my brother, um, years ago, when we were all single, uh, I remember a conversation we had in a subway in New York City where he was living at the time with Feldman, his best friend. And one of, the, one of them said, you should take a girl out on a date on a subway because it impresses her. And the other one said, no, you got to have a car. The girls aren't impressed if you don't have a car. So I don't know if that motivated my brother, but he, he didn't have a car in New York. So his car was on my parents' farm in Minnesota. So I was living in Upper Michigan. So the plan was for him to drive his car up to the UP, and then we'd drive across the UP, and he'd drop me off at a ski race in New Hampshire, and then I'd catch a ride back, and he'd continue on to New York. So we're driving and driving and driving and driving. It's long and desolate. We get into the, after midnight, this desolate town of Sudbury, Ontario. And I don't, probably to me, uh, Sudbury was only a town in the back of a hockey cart. But it's kind of a dingy, mining kind of place. And we found this cheap hotel because we were cheap. And we just, you know, single guys probably just in our underwear went to bed, right, or sleep right away. And two or three in the morning, knock at the door. And no one knows us in Sudbury, so we're just, whatever. And it turned into banging. And then loud banging. <laughs> and siblings, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in your 20s, you're adults, you still act like you're 10 sometimes with each other. And so we're like, one of us said, you get the door. He goes, no, you get the door. We went back and forth, you get the door, I get the door. And finally, oh, okay, I went up to get, and the banging's continuing the whole time. So I gave in and took the, and mercifully the banging stopped. I could go back to bed. But Jesus is talking something about this. And he's telling us to persevere. He's not saying that God is unwilling to give. That would be kind of the natural questions. You know, is, who is God in this parable? He's the non-friend. He's not, it's, it's the door knocker that's the friend that wants to provide. And so we could ask, is God just a callous third party? Or is he uncaring? Does he have to be cajoled or, or begged into action? Of course, the answer is no. But the point of the story is to persevere. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep praying. You know, sometimes you've heard the, the, the saying, oh, man, I just feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. And you probably felt that way. Um, this week, my daughter told something about a friend of hers that said that when you pray, you're just praying to the air. Now, that's kind of a weird way to look at it, um, but it's unique, I guess. But are we ever just praying to the air? Maybe it feels like it sometimes. But you know what? Um, God has blessed us with an incredible vision of the value of our prayers in the book of Revelation. When God gave uh, the disciple, Apostle John, the revelation, he gave him a, a peek into the throne room of heaven. Let's go there. Revelation 5.8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then a little later, I'll get back to this one. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. 
And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So our prayers are depicted as incense in heaven. You know, in the New Testament era, incense isn't a part of worship, but it's a huge part of worship in the Old Testament. In Exodus 30, 34, uh, it was written, God said to Moses, take fragrances such as balsam, anchaya, galbanon, and pure frankincense, all the same weight, as well as other specified fragrances. Well, in, the, in, in those times, that fragrance incense mix was actually composed of, of 11 different um, in, incense herbs. And four of them are mentioned here, but the other seven aren't. And the recipe for that in, incense offering was a closely guarded secret. And it was passed down, um, keeping um, in a special family called the Aptinas. And this clan protected the recipe and the identity of the herb um, herbs were, were kind of guarded by them, but it was maintained. It was a really special concoction that they used. And there was one herb, and my undergraduate degree is horticulture, so I'm really into this one. The, the lesser-known herb um, in Hebrew is called mala ashen, which literally means that which causes smoke to rise. And this herb has a quality um, which causes incense to rise like in a straight column. I think this is part of the, the incense mix. And this herb actually, it's, it's genus species, is Latarinia pyrotechnica. I mean, I love that word, pyrotechnica. That's the genus species name. It contains nitric acid. Wouldn't that be a fun one to play around with? Get, get some herb and light it up and see what happens. But so the incense was really important uh, back then. And in Leviticus 10, there's a situation with the Aaronic priesthood um, two priests named Nadab and Abihu, they offered up an unprescribed incense. You know what happened to them? The Bible says they offered up strange fire. God put them to death. Because he said in the scriptures, I will be treated as holy, and before all people, I will be honored. So for some unknown reason, strange reason, I don't know, it was viewed as dishonoring God to not keep the prescription of the incense. So clearly we see from the Old Testament worship this prescription that incense plays a very important role in God's temple. And so what are our prayers likened to? It's incense. And we saw in that passage, where are they held? In golden bowls. I've never seen a golden bowl. You know, gold's approaching $2,000 an ounce. I can't imagine how valuable a golden bowl would be. It wouldn't be like a brass spittoon that the old West guy used to spit into. It's something extremely valuable. And the incense of the prayers of all the saints, it says all of them, get stored in golden bowls. That prayer that you thought was bouncing off the ceiling or into the air, it's being stored in one of heaven's golden bowls. God hasn't forgotten that prayer. None of them. Of the thousands, maybe the millions of prayers you've made in your life. You know, one uh, author, uh, prayer warrior, she, Cindy Jacobson, said that perhaps these golden bowls are like tippable, and our prayers collect and collect and collect until finally those bowls spill over and God answers the prayer. I don't know if it's that way or not, but it's a good word. It's a good picture to have in your head, isn't it? The the, the precious prayers and the golden bowls, and finally, bam, there they go. Well, I think there are three reasons 
why God wants us to persevere in these precious prayers to him. The first one is that it builds a relationship with God. You know, I've been, been uh, walking through with a, a couple of athletes uh, this last week. Um, uh, one of them has spent the last six years of his life um, preparing to be an alpine ski coach. He's got a master's degree in Montana State. But now he's thinking about going into ministry. And the other one is a very famous ski skater for Canada. And he's probably going to retire, not sure. He was filming The Amazing Race the last week or so. And, and so, but I, I remember I told both of those guys, hey, when I was your age, when I was 24, God did a change in my life. I went from horticulture to, to ministry. But I wasn't sure. And so I, I drew close to God because I needed to hear. And as I needed to hear, that just made me so much closer to God. And for these guys, it's the same thing. I want to show you I have another object lesson here. My kids want to throw this away as, during one of our cleaning purges, but I said, no way, you can't throw away my 20Q my magic ball. And with this thing, the batteries are dead now, long since forgotten, but you think of something in your head, and then yes, no questions, and within 20 questions, it figures out what's in your head. It's magic. Um, some people treat this like their prayer life. They don't really want a relationship. They just want to hear the answer, or they want to get an answer. And so they don't really, I, I never had a relationship with my magic ball. <laughs> it's a fun toy to play around with. But we don't play around with God. We have a relationship with him. So sometimes we persevere in prayer because God wants us to lean in closer, to listen, and learn how to hear his voice, and learn how he reveals the trail and the path we're supposed to walk on. So persevering in prayer is an important part of building a relationship. Secondly, a reason to persevere, it demonstrates our faith. You know, if, if, if we didn't get an answer right away, why don't you say, oh, God's not working after all? No, but we continue to persevere in prayer. It shows God that we believe he's going to answer the prayer, whether it's yes or no or maybe or wait for now. Um, it just communicates to him and helps us see ourselves that I do believe in the power of prayer. I do believe there's going to be an answer in some regard, and I'm going to continue. I'm going to persevere because I believe in the power of my God. And so we persevere in prayer for faith. And, and thirdly, we persevere in prayer because it glorifies him. You know, how do we glorify God? Part of the important equation, how to glorify God, is prayer. Because if you pray for something and prayed and prayed and God answers it, I mean, obviously, who's at work? God is. And when you see an answer prayer, what happened? You experience God. I mean, we all want to experience God. Years ago, I remember reading about a, a survey. They asked unchurched people, what would it take for you to come into these church walls? And they said, well, if I could experience God there, I'd go. And that's one way to experience God. Persevere in your prayer, see it answered. It glorifies him, and it's, it's exciting. You really do experience God. So I want to look um, at an important clue that Scripture gives to us as to exactly how prayer even works. In Romans 8, 26, we read, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this is kind of confusing, maybe. Because you could go, well, why didn't God just do what he's going to do? 
But God the Father has a plan for his kingdom, and so he moves or directs God the Holy Spirit who resides in every one of us. So we pray according to what God the Father wants done, and then those prayers go to Jesus, who is our intercessor, and brings those prayers back to the Father, and he answers them. It's a beautiful circle. And you could say, like I said, why didn't God just do it? He, why does he use fickle, uh, faithless humans in this whole process? But it's our benefit, our blessing, that God includes us in his work. I mean, this is amazing that he would even do that and allow us that privilege to be a part of his work. So how should we respond when the Holy Spirit prompts us, or just a, a feeling, he even says here in the, in the word, groaning is too deep for words. If you sense that the Holy Spirit is leading you to pray for something, do it. Because it's probably something God wants done. And Jesus will take that prayer, the incense, place it in the golden bowl, and, and the answer will come. The other reason to persevere in prayer is it brings us joy. Joy in that process. But joy in the closeness, as I talked about before. Jesus even said himself in John 16, he says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy will be made full. That's a Greek word, pleroma, which means fulfilled, or filling up. Kind of like a glass. It's getting poured full, and it's full, but you keep pouring, and it's bubbling, and it's falling all over. That's the kind of joy that we get when we see God answer prayers, and when we are allowed to work with him in tandem and bring it about his will in, in his kingdom. If you want joy in life, this is, this is, the, this is the path pretty cool. So there's three ways that we experience joy as we experience God. I already mentioned we experience God's presence as we go with him, and we experience God when he answers those prayers, but we also experience great joy when he gets glorified. And, and I just mentioned that when, when a desperate prayer gets offered up and it happens, you go, well, God did it. You experience him. You receive joy. I had a friend in university. She was kind of melodramatic. And she had this. She'd, when she'd have an answer to prayer to the rest of us, she'd share, gasp, <laughs> which is an acronym for God answers specific prayers. So she goes, gasp. And so we need to pray specifically, not just generally. I remember one of my kids used to pray, help everybody in the whole wide world to become a Christian. <laughs> That's not specific. <laughs> but we can pray when we're more specific. And so again, gasp, when God answers our prayers, wow, does he ever get glorified. And it's so, it's so exciting and it's so fun. But let's get back to our passage though. Is God reluctant to answer our prayers? So let's, I want to read it again, verse 9. Jesus said this, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. It will be given to you. Or you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a serpent, or an egg, a scorpion? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? One of my daughters is in the first service, and one of the liabilities of having a dad that's preaching is sometimes they get stories told about him. And so I gave my kid a serpent once. We were up in Jasper, and, and she wanted a souvenir, and she had this little wooden snake. And so I bought her this little wooden snake, and she put it in her Tupperware. And 
she carried this little wooden stick along her Tupperware wherever she went for a couple of years. <laughs> it was kind of, kind of strange. I don't know, but, but um, it's so fun to give to your kids. This last week, I was at a family gathering. I was officiating a funeral, or a, not a funeral, a wedding. <laughs> Actually, it's a sad story. I, rabbit trail, I shouldn't get off on it, but th- three years ago, it was a wedding and a funeral because the, the groom was en route to the destination wedding was killed in a motorcycle accident. It was awful, wedding and funeral on the same. So, so this time around, she didn't have the energy to plan a, a, a wedding for her new guy. And so we were up in the remotest corner, Seymour Arm in BC, and her, her, her uncle did the, did the service, super low key, but very, very healing to her. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, so afterwards, we're, we drove out of this off-the-grid remote place, and we're stopping for ice cream, and, and, uh, and her sister said, yeah, when, when we turned 18, our parents stopped buying things, so we have to buy our own ice cream when we stop as a family. And I thought, that's kind of weird, because whenever I went out with my father, until the day he died, he bought. You guys, can you relate to that? Yeah, <laughs> and so it's my turn to pay it forward. But uh, I'm sure my dad um, was so happy and joyful to have us together and to give. I experienced the same joy to be together. My kids are revolving door now. They're in and out, kind of in between empty nester and, and, and not. And, and, and our Father in heaven loves to give. In fact, I'm going to make a statement that you might find surprising. He loves to give more than you love to receive. You believe that? I believe that. He loves to give more than you love to receive. He's not shy about giving. He wants to give. So keep asking. Jesus said, ask, seek, you will find. So I want to look at three possible reasons why possibly God doesn't answer our prayers immediately. Number one, it's not God's will. 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Of course, God hears everything. He's all-knowing. But we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. So in other words, we've got to pray according to his will. And if we're doing that same formula, the Holy Spirit will lead us into that will. Garth Brooks, many years ago, had a song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. It was, he was praying for some girl to be his wife, and she said no, and he ended up marrying someone that was way better. Although I think he left her for somebody else, but that's another story. <laughs> Hollywood, those, yeah, those guys. But thank God sometimes for unanswered prayer because it's not part of God's will. Secondly, pride. I read a book years ago by a guy named Paul Bilheimer um, called Destined for the Throne. It was a book about prayer, and he understood that revelation uh, picture. And when we pray, put this into the throne room of God, and our prayers are, are stored there. But he said that sometimes people don't get their prayers answered because of pride. Um, probably not many of us would brag about their prayer warrior status. And most of us, like I said before, get guilty about you know, our prayer life. But um, maybe there's some people that, hey, you need something prayed, prayed for and answered, you come to me because I'm the prayer warrior. And there might be an element of pride there. And so sometimes maybe God doesn't answer a prayer because of our pride. In fact, in Isaiah, great verse. So many verses. Isaiah, 
got the privilege of being in the throne room of God. In the early part of the book of Isaiah, you know, in, in the year of King Uzziah, he describes the throne room scene. So Isaiah paints a picture in his prophecies of God's temple in amazing ways. But he says this in, in Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, uh, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Whether you're a prayer warrior, I mean, if you're a prayer warrior, so what? God's the one answering it anyway. But this verse can be taken to heart in everything. My glory I will not give to another. Whether you take credit for anything in ministry you've done, or your jobs, or, or anything. Only God is worthy of glory. We, we dare not rob him of his glory. And then thirdly, we already looked about this. Sometimes we just don't persevere in prayer. That's why our prayers don't get answered. Maybe we haven't prayed enough for that golden bowl to get tipped. I want to close with a couple of stories. I have a buddy named Don from Minnesota. And when I was growing up, Don was just starting off his uh, periodontics, dental career, and he lived really close to my parents. And I was living at home at the time. Was, I think I was just in the midst of graduating from university. And, and Don was an academic All-American linebacker for K-State. And the NFL came knocking and said, if we draft you, will you play? And he said, nope, I want to be a dentist. Kind of like in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Ranger, Herbie wants to be a dentist. I don't know. But, and, and, and he knew the path for his life that he wanted to go. But Don, after losing 50 pounds, traded in his, his cleats for skis. So we trained together. We go for runs together and roller skis together. And um, we come over to my parents' house, and almost like being kids again. And Steve, come out and play, whatever. And, and so we go for our runs. And I had just been involved with a, a campus group called Campus Crusade for Christ. And they taught us how to share our faith and engage in God conversation. So I was doing that with my buddy Don. And we'd be talking about the Lord. And he, all, he had a line that he'd say, he'd say, yeah, I got to look into that someday. And I was praying for Don, and, and uh, he kept, yeah, I got to look into that someday. And I, I, I'm ashamed to say I gave up. I stopped praying. In my mind, I thought, yeah, somebody's never going to come. But someone did not stop praying for my buddy Don, and that was his wife. And after Don started walking with the Lord, he got involved with Bible Study Fellowship. You ever familiar with that? They get you into the Word. And he was going through the book of John, I think, and he really understood the whole picture. And it all came together for Don. But his wife said, Steve, you were the answer, partial answer to my prayers because I'd see you guys walking down the road after your workout, cooling down, and I thought, God has brought a, a Christian guy into my husband's life. And I went away to my ministry and I came back and, um, and then Don and I would do these mega long workouts on Saturday morning. We were both really busy and I was going to seminary and doing my ministry at the University of Minnesota and Don had a thriving practice. So every Saturday morning, seven o'clock, we'd start for five hours roller skiing and running because he wanted to be done by noon to spend time the day with his family. And the interesting thing about this, he had a bad ear and I had a bad ear. So we had to line up just right. If we ever crossed, we could not talk. We're like, oh, this isn't working. We're ready to go back here. So anyway, but Don would be talking about, God's doing this in my life. I've learned that about the Lord. And I'd just be kicking myself going, is this the same guy? But fortunately, his wife didn't give up. I gave up on my buddy, but he didn't. And 
let me just share one more. George Mueller, many of you heard about books that have been written about his prayer life. And he prayed for somebody for 60 years to come into God's kingdom. And it was the day that they lowered Mueller into the ground that this guy standing at the graveside gave his heart to God. And you could say, well, Mueller didn't get to see it, but of course he did. He just had a better viewpoint. Look it down. So, folks, my encouragement to all of us and myself, don't stop. Keep persevering. If there's something that God's put on your heart, those are valuable prayers to God. He hears them all. He's got him in the golden bowls in heaven. And, and, and let's encourage one another to, to keep going. Uh, and let, let's close in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, prayer is a mystery, and it's a profound privilege that you have given to us. Lord, I know it's powerful, and thank you that it's very personal. And I just want to thank you for this grand, magnificent privilege that you've given to us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would enliven our hearts and allow us to have prayer lives that just draw us close to you, see you at work, and Lord, we want to glorify you and have great joy in that all. Jesus, in your name we pray.